0: Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with two developers from Zalando talking about REST and some of the things that they've been doing with Kotlin. Welcome, Mikhail and Mikhail, to Talking Kotlin. Hi, Heidi. Hello. (laughs) So this is interesting because you're both named Mikhail, which is um, uh, Michael. uh, But uh, so I don't know how to distinguish you. Name Clash, yeah, happens. Yeah. Anyway, um, so welcome to the show, as I said, and tell me a little bit about uh, what you guys do and uh, what Zalando does.
1: Yeah, sure. Maybe we can start with a brief introduction of Zalando. So Zalando is uh, Europe's biggest online fashion retailer. So we are selling uh, not only shoes currently. So we are selling a lot of clothes, accessories, and so on. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, we are trying right now to transform our um, core business from pure online retailer to a fashion platform. And yeah, so we are just trying to um, uh, bring um, a lot of guys who uh, are um, around uh, fashion industry, like consumers, stylists. Uh, designers, brands, influencers, and so on together, and trying to uh, make something good out of it.
2: Yeah. Also, it's not obvious, but the tech part of the company is pretty big. And uh, we are using like microservices. So inside we have all possible combinations of technologies and languages, including, of course, Kotlin.
1: We are around, I think, 1.8 thousand right now in tech, so we are quite big.
2: 1
0: 1800 people just on the tech side? Uh, yes. Wow, that is pretty big. And I'll just make a slight uh, notes when you said we don't just sell shoes. I, my apologies because when I have been talking to you guys before I'm like, oh yeah, I buy my shoes from Zalando. And <laughs> obviously, you sell way more than shoes. Yeah. Uh, so that's great to know. So 1800 people just on the tech side. How how big is the company?
1: Um, I think we are now around 12,000 as far as I remember, maybe I a bit wrong, but uh, yeah, I think the main uh, part of the people is sitting in Berlin, so we are around 6-7,000 here, and yeah, we have also a lot of offices around uh, Germany, we have one big tech hub in uh, Dublin, uh, in Helsinki, uh, Dortmund, uh, yeah, maybe in Lisbon, Uh, Lisbon actually, yes, was recently announced, uh, so we have quite a few offices around. Oh,
0: that is pretty big. I'm wondering why you guys want a Kotlin Conf. You should have been there totally, but <laughs> that, that, that's a different discussion. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I called you on because you've been doing some things with Kotlin. Uh, you have a couple of repositories on GitHub that are open source. I'm guessing as part of you know uh, the stuff that you're shipping out from the tech side of the company. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that caught my attention uh, was the keyword REST. Right, because I'm a I'm a big, I'm one of those um, loud mouths in the community that despises every time someone uses rest the wrong way. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, so I definitely have to get these guys on the show to talk about rest and talk about Kotlin, Right, like it's it's good. It's just going to be awesome. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a rest fight. Yeah, sure. uh, so cool. Yeah. So uh, tell me about uh, the, this framework library tool that you're using. Uh, around REST. What is it about?
1: Yeah, maybe we can first talk about um, our REST for API guidelines, which are quite uh, famous. Uh, so we have many companies using them somehow, and so this is kind of uh, a big uh, amount of documentation there. the so defining the roles, how we Uh, should build our REST APIs in the end. Uh, So these rules are divided somehow into multiple categories, so must, should, may, and so depending on the level, we just see if this rule is critical enough or uh, it can be skipped, uh, uh, and so on. So REST API guidelines are on GitHub, uh, so it's about,
2: I think, 500 stars now, and so it's mostly
1: community-driven.
2: Yeah, I also want to give some backgrounds. uh, Why REST? Uh, because if you are in the uh, our setup, like a very big tech company with a lot of teams, and you somehow need to organize work among those teams, uh, you basically have uh, two choices. Like uh, uh, you need to have separate code bases, <clears throat> so it's uh, mostly logical to organize work in the microservice way, and then those microservices need to talk to each other. So either you heavily invest in some uh, RPC solution like Google did, uh, or you stick to HTTP. And then, yeah, every language, every technology pretty much can interact with uh, uh, HTTP endpoints. Uh, And uh, then uh, how do you organize a system in a way that all the APIs look same? So when you integrate with some new team, you don't have to learn a whole new bunch of rules, how they did things, how they organize their endpoints, parameters, whatever. Uh, this is where the need for the API guidelines arise. And yeah, if you're like a small company, probably you don't really need it. But here it's like a matter of fact that it, it, it's something that really helps us in our day-to-day job.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. So here's the thing when you talk about uh, rest guidelines and and we can dig deeper into you know what exactly these specific guidelines are and how kotlin fits in the picture here but i want to take a step back a second because you said you know you can work towards having you know defining an rpc model where you expose endpoints or yep. you can just have people you know leverage http So, are we talking about defining guidelines around an HTTP API? Or are you specifically talking about REST? Or are you, and phrased in a different way, are you making a distinction between these two things?
1: I think we are talking about REST most of the cases, so it was a decision taken probably a bit earlier uh, when we joined Zalando and um, so the time Zalando was transforming from uh, old style uh, enterprises so APIs, yes, to REST and uh, we found out that REST is the way to go with uh, uh, multiple technologies we are using the company.
2: Yeah, of course, of course, you're right. As the uh, actually one more alternative is to use HTTP, but don't use REST and you organize uh, your endpoints in some other way. Yeah, that just uh, was a company policy to use REST. That's how we stick with it and yeah, develop our guidelines and linter and stuff. OK, so just
0: to put people into context, uh, because, you know, REST has become kind of like uh I don't know, like microservices, like SOA, like every everything that any any buzzword that you can think of, which is you know, depending on who you ask, you get a different answer, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so, what is REST uh, for Zalando for for you guys?
1: So in general, so we are just trying probably to stick to the main approaches uh, which um, uh, REST assumes. So in the end, uh, so we are just trying to make it first of all as simple as possible. Uh, We are trying to use um, as much as possible um, HTTP verbs. Um, We are using um, relevant HTTP statuses. We are using uh, JSON um, as a um, actually as a co- uh, content but in the end, and yeah, I'm still wondering, should you have anything to it
2: here? Yeah, like uh, organizing, n- naming your uh, paths with uh, like a resource and uh, identifier of the resource and yeah, different uh, HTTP verbs for making actions on those resources. So if you look at it, the rest is just uh, very, mm, how to say, common uh, denominator f- for how you organize your HTTP endpoints. Mm. Yeah, and of course it highly depends on how you interpret those rules. This is why we have the guidelines to, you know, to define some uh, basic way of doing so and not argue about bike-shedding anymore.
1: So actually REST allows you a lot of flexibility in the end and um, it seems to be yeah, and guidelines is one of the ways to go. It's, it's Actually, Zalando follows the same path, I think, like many big companies like Microsoft or uh, GitHub. And so I think we are doing also quite a good job there.
0: Yeah, and uh, are you familiar with the Richardson maturity model? Uh, I'm not sure. To, to be honest, yeah, I also I thought something about it, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. So. Okay, so that's uh, from Leonard Richardson. Uh, he he wrote a he wrote a book around rest, and mm-hmm. in it he defines like different levels of your APIs. So you know you you start at the very bottom, which is kind of like the plain old XML, and you have your RPC calls, and mm-hmm. then you move on to using. Uh, HTTP endpoints, which are identified as uh, resources, and you're combining these resources with verbs. So, you know, you move from having actions in the RPC form to having. Resources and then a set of actions that you could perform on these resources, mm-hmm. right? So like you, you guys are saying, you know, I have a customer and then I can apply get post, put, delete, et cetera on, exactly. on this customer. Right. Uh, and then he defines what, what, you know, Roy Fielding kind of tried to define as REST, which is the constraint in which you, well, not the constraint, the, the act of using hypermedia right? So when when I reach an endpoint, I can then, so let's say that I, I reach the endpoint uh, customer, I know now the set of verbs that I can apply on the customer, but the customer is also going to provide me that endpoint, that resource is going to provide me with hypermedia links so that I know where to go next, right? Mm-hmm. So, or or in the, the quintessential example of of REST, which is using, for instance, an order when you put an order, when you create an order, it gives you information about what can I do next? Can I cancel the order? Can I pay the order, etc., which mm-hmm. is using hypermedia. Mm-hmm. And in it's kind of, you know, the Richardson maturity model is saying that you really only accomplish a restful system uh, in the under what Roy Fielding wanted to do or describe is you know, when you are using hypermedia, when you are abiding with a series of constraints? Um, and the reason I'm asking this is, is it goes back to my original question of, are we just talking about you know HTTP and a set of guidelines around HTTP? or are you really doing restful systems in that you are actually requiring hypermedia uh, to, to link, for instance, from one state to another? Mm-hmm. When people are interacting with your APIs?
1: Um, I think we, we have uh, at least some hypermedia approaches also specified in our REST of the APIs. Uh, but yeah, you need to understand also that the Lambda is quite big and um, all our APIs also are implemented a bit uh, sometimes different ways. So some uh, teams are using uh, hypermedia, so, um, some teams I'm still slowly cutting them. I think the goal of guidelines was also to be flexible. These terms because we also wanted to make sure that teams have an au- autonomy and but at the same time um, uh, what we're building a
2: fit somehow in the company standards. Yeah, so if we speak about h- hatos, yeah. Uh, yeah no, no, now I get what you're referring okay. to. Yeah. Uh, then uh, I would say probably no, we are not restful enough uh, from this point of view. This is kind of tip of the uh, golden standard of the RESTful APIs. And I would say that we are not yet there. And yeah, that's kind of a previous level.
0: Yeah. And, and just to clarify for for the audience, in case they're not familiar with the term HATIOS, uh, which stands for Hypermedia as the Engine of Application State. The idea is that, you know, the with the hypermedia links that the client ends up controlling the state of the application, which gives you a series of benefits. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why I was leading to this other than I told you that I'm one of those painful people in the community that always says, you know, are you doing rest or are you doing HTTP? It wasn't just because of that. It was because I'm trying to understand where this linter fits in, right? And And mm-hmm. you've made it clear in that, you know, you're a large company. Uh, we've got one thousand eight hundred people just in tech. Many of them are doing endpoints. You're consuming, interacting between these different endpoints, and you've got a set of guidelines, right? Yeah, right. And you found that people weren't necessarily following these guidelines.
1: Um, yeah, that's I think the biggest challenge uh, currently. So we actually, um, yeah, we found out uh, that uh, it's sometimes hard to uh, make. Such a big tech company uh, to follow these guidelines, uh, but at the same time, so we are still trying slowly to go this direction. So we just try still to uh, bring these guidelines as a recommendation, not as a must, um, and it's slowly becoming one of the biggest compliance topics in our case. So at some point, once infrastructure um, around our linter, around our guidelines will be in place, uh, so um, yeah, uh, rules will be applied
2: like, harder way across. Yeah. So what what we have, uh, I want to add, we have internal uh, API review guild, and every API which you want to um, deploy and publish for all the other people to use. Uh, need to go through a review procedure. So those guidelines are uh, enforced currently by uh, just a review committee, not by some automated tool. And yeah, of course, like with every uh, guidelines, uh, there is something which is must, something that which is should, and something which, which is may. So uh, we are not demanding all the APIs to be like a very, very strict and uh, 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 compliant with every one of more than 200 rules in these guidelines—it's just not practical. Uh, but at the same time, the basis uh, sh- should be here. Should, uh, you just cannot uh, publish the API if it's like totally uh, not sound with the guidelines.
1: At least it applies for new APIs. So we are just trying to make sure that our new APIs are built
2: more in the right way. Yeah, and if you are talking about uh, 1,800 people, then yeah, it's it's really hard to organize work that every team exactly doing the same thing.
0: And so I guess that this is where the idea of the linter came in. That it is it is you know you you have a set of guidelines that people can read, but it's hard to just do continuous review and you wanted to add some kind of automated tool that helps developers make sure they are abiding
1: to the guidelines? Uh, Right. Actually, it started, um, as Misha said, it started with a review made by API Guild. API Guild, uh, just for understanding, is not such a big organization. I think it's maybe around uh, 10 to 15 people, depends on the time. Um, and um, in general, so when, again, their main task was to uh, actually automate this review process, at least partially.
2: Some rules for sure are hard
1: to automate, uh, but in general. Yeah, it's
2: all started as a Hack Week project. Uh, we have uh, Hack Week a week in, in a year where we just uh, organize in some ad hoc teams and work on arbitrary projects, not necessarily related to the main work. And uh, yeah, last year we decided to give uh, Linter a try this idea. And that was a really, really nice thing to do because we even get like a reward, quick win, something like this, because internally after the hack week is over, uh, every project is uh, nominated uh, in, in some categories. So we win in the category quick win. Uh, because in just one week we did uh, uh, like the main work for infrastructure of the linter and uh, it was usable right away so right after this one week uh, uh, api review guild uh, was was able to use it and uh, after made their work on to 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 some degree
0: nice congratulations and so now this linter is used by different teams to abide by guidelines that that are set, right? And are these guidelines set on a global scale or do you allow different teams to set their own guidelines?
1: Um, currently it's global scale. So we have global API and yeah. Uh, now linter is kind of one of the preliminary step before you can submit
2: your API for review. So you first need to lint it and then uh, probably the rest will be reviewed. And mention that since uh, API guidelines are open source, our lint is also open source and uh, uh, accessible for everyone to use. And we already have a first requests from the other companies which also want to adopt it. And we are making actually actual changes in order to accommodate needs of other, uh, let's say, stakeholders here.
0: Nice. And, uh, and the reason I was asking about the global versus local is because obviously when you have, you know, or local, global versus per project is obviously because when you were mentioning that you're working uh, in kind of like a microservices architecture, I'm assuming that you need to have these services talk to each other, right? So you yeah. need them to abide in some way with certain structure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of the things that you were mentioning is that there's, you have like these different levels of like may, should, could. Mm -hmm. So how does that actually work in the sense that, you know, let's say that I design an API and certain rules could be optional, others uh, may be optional. And if these two services are talking to each other Does that impose extra burden uh, in development time to to handle these cases?
1: Um, Maybe um, I'll say so. It's it's a bit hard to answer this question because um, uh, in general, I think um, uh, services are starting talking to each other once uh, the API is already defined, right? once the um, API review process is finished. And uh, the rules are mostly applied on the um, API review process, so meaning that um, uh, so, um, we are trying to catch as many issues with um, API um, during the design time, uh, to make sure that API is stable enough and we will not uh, get into versioning quite fast. So I think we're just trying to, so API yeah, advance and API Linter uh, yeah, are working on the preliminary step before API. Yeah. Yeah.
2: We use Swagger to define those APIs and uh, if you need to integrate with some microservice, you just grab the latest uh, Swagger and uh, build against it. Uh, it's strictly speaking, it can be like any Swagger and, and you will just, you, you are not uh, thinking of guidelines when you're integrating, rather when you're uh, designing your API. Uh, but. Uh, having those guidelines as a common denominator for all the teams actually greatly helps and reduces time of uh, getting into the new API because you know what to expect, more or less. And uh, yes, uh, there is some overhead on the designing phase because you kind of need to take into consideration different rules from the guidelines. But normally you just, uh, from my experience, you just read those guidelines You compile it inside your head, uh, then you produce draft version of your API, and then you just lint it and see, oh, I forgot about this. Hmm, I should change probably this to make it better because it's a nice my rule, something like that. And then you go through review and yeah, work is over.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And where does Kotlin fit into all this?
1: Uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> it's like we are on talking Kotlin, right? not talking REST. <laughs> yes. Uh, so initially, uh, uh, we gather as a team and we understand that the only language that is uh, known to all the teams is Java. So we started in Java in Spring Boot, which is pretty standard, of course. Uh, and then we, we had a very like limited time because it's just uh, one week. Uh, and then afterwards, when we open-source uh, zalli uh, I was the one who thought, hmm, maybe Kotlin will be a good fit for it. Uh, because I'm also like a, a long time Kotlin fan, one of the early adopters. And uh, I, I really wanted to see how Kotlin will shine in, in this setup.
1: Yeah, I remember Misha's pull request, actually. We had a lot of discussions around. On that, so he just tried to automate some rules using Kotlin, and so it, it was quite fun
2: time. Yes, yes. So I needed to convince other people why we should do this. We already have Java. What's what's new in the Kotlin? Why it has some advantages? And then I tried to talk, and uh, you know, words. Uh, code is better than words. So I just uh, made a PR where I. Uh, uh, translate a few rules into idiomatic Kotlin and uh, in my PR I even did some so we have OOP inheritance like a normal Java stuff and I translated the base class in Kotlin and uh, some of uh, its children were still in Java uh, just to illustrate how seamless interoperation between Java and Kotlin in fact is and uh, I think that was one of the main points uh, for, for, for adoption, that uh, you, you don't have to do this in a big bang translate everything in, in one night or something like this. You can introduce it gradually and it really works because of the uh, Kotlin don't have its own like collection classes. It reuses the Java ones and you can easily inherit from a Kotlin class. It's not like some uh, completely alien language in fact very close to, to java and was designed it with uh, this uh, interoperability in mind and it really feels and you you, you can use it
0: that's nice uh, the the code speaks louder than words it but of course you on the receiving end you also have to be open to that right you know because I'm i'm sure there are there are companies and individuals that suddenly see uh you know a pull request that has completely changed the language and kind of say, well, no, that's not going to be happening. Yes, yes so, of course, yeah. that's highly
2: individual.
1: But this flexible setup helped us a lot over time because we also had a lot of contributions uh, during the past few months and uh, so we were quite open. So if guys wanted to do Java, so we did Java. If uh, somebody wanted to try Kotlin, they did Kotlin. And yeah, so- some
2: guys were specifically attracted because of Kotlin. Mm-hmm. They wanted to try it and uh, That's how we get additional contribution. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And so in terms of these guidelines now, uh, and uh, speaking in particular with Kotlin, are you using Kotlin to define the, the rules of the linter? Yes. Okay. So, and you have your own DSL for this?
2: Uh, we don't have DSL. We,
1: I think, mostly using Swagger um, Swagger parser, and uh, then based on the tree which uh, Swagger parser built, we will just and to define some rules. So it's mostly static analysis. And
2: yeah, I wouldn't call it DSL. So it's, it's, it's not just DSL. a plain code. I also wanted to stay as uh, as close to, to Java as possible to, to not alienate people who who are uh, at, the, at the beginning of the project.
0: So, from a user perspective, like uh, if I were to download this uh, tool, which we we call Zali, uh, what do I get? Like, how do I? Let's say that I I have I'm designing now an API, and I want to make sure that it aligns with some guidelines. Mm-hmm. What do I? What do I get by downloading this? Where would I start?
1: Uh, you will get currently uh, the set of um, uh, Zalando API rules uh, automated. So I cannot give you exact percent number, uh, how many rules we already automated, but uh, mostly it's still tightly coupled to Zalando. So you can still ignore uh, some rules if you, for example, if we're not fitting you to your design principle or something like that.
0: Um,
1: and can you hmm? can you give me
0: an example of what some of these rules would be?
1: Uh, One of the examples, for example, uh, is how we uh, build our URIs, for example, that
2: every resource should be uh, in uh, plural form and, yeah, so... Like using snack cakes for fields in JSON, uh, returning JSON object from an endpoint, not like the uh, uh, scalar value or uh, array. Uh, in in order to ensure that it will it, it can uh, progress independently without uh, introducing breaking changes, uh, making your uh, headers uh, Pascal case, uh, something like this. So it's
0: okay.
1: Yeah, we also check in yeah. security concepts, for example, in the we are use
2: a lot of OAuth
1: uh, tools and uh, yeah, like every
2: endpoint uh, has a uh, OAuth authentication with the uh, valid scopes, something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, basically returning to your question, what you get, uh, you can just uh, uh, clone Zali, deploy server, and uh, use a client in order to lint API or go directly through web interface. Uh, If you are okay with the the default Zalanda guidelines, no additional configuration is needed. Uh, If you have uh, some other point of view on how APIs should look like, uh, you can customize it either uh, via config by uh, disabling some rules or changing the meaning of some rules. For example, white listing, blacklisting some uh, field names or header uh, values uh, stuff. Or you can actually uh, add your own rules using yeah, Kotlin, Java, whatever JVM language you prefer.
0: And yeah, okay, we- and then this basically runs against my server, right, to validate the endpoints?
1: Uh, yeah, we decided to, to make it um, uh, this way because we wanted to have a central source of truth uh, where we can define the, let's say, company-wide rules and enable, disable them and so on. And that's why we decided to uh, keep all the uh, validation logic server size and then uh, use thin clients like CLI or uh, we have even small prototypes. GitHub integration, so uh, yeah, but they all go uh, against one and,
0: and that makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, and then, so in terms of my code base, really, I don't need to annotate anything,
1: right? Right, you don't need it, yeah, you just need to only to give a swagger file and that's it. That's our input. Okay. And yeah, maybe just uh, telling me a few more um, ideas for future. We would like also to uh, enable at some point rule sets uh, where, uh, for example, we would like to uh, give you rules uh, like a, in batches. let's call it. So probably you can enable uh, Zalanda rules. Maybe later somebody will contribute and implement some other company rules. And we would like also to be super
2: flexible here. Yeah, like solvable rule sets. Yeah, to, to to define guidelines. Yeah,
1: because in the end every company cooks uh, their APIs yeah, their own way, and we should be flexible here as well. And then I'm
0: assuming that this can be run as part of a CI server as well, right?
1: Uh, right. I think the first prototype we built even during hack week. Um, so we just had uh, some Travis CI job which was running and every time you push something to your pull request and uh, yeah, it works uh, quite well. Uh, we thought about maybe more advanced way of using it uh, while building a um, GitHub integration layer. Uh, so we have early prototype uh, available right now on github.com. So yeah, if somebody, of our listeners will be interested, so you can always check it as well.
0: Nice, it's very cool. And so apart from this, what is the adoption of uh, Kotlin? In
2: your projects?
1: Maybe Misha can tell a bit more. But. Yeah I, I
2: have experience here uh, so um, I started with Kotlin actually long ago even before I joined Zalando uh, so I uh, did uh, build some Spring Boot application with this Android client uh, for production use even before 1.0 uh, release so I uh, yeah have a, have a lot of experience with Kotlin, let's put it like that. And uh, yeah, that was my natural thing to introduce it here at Zalanda in my team. Uh, but uh, I have a slightly different situation. So normally people uh, do Java, and then at some point of time, they see the limit, limits of their language, and they want to express their code, they want their code to be more expressive. So they try some other JVM language like Kotlin or Scala and in my case uh, my team here at Zalando already uh, were in Scala like deep uh, deep deep in Scala and that was not an easy task to convince people try Kotlin because yeah like we have case classes we have pattern matching we also have a lot of other very advanced things in Scala why should we try Kotlin what's what new it will bring But but actually, I I succeed, so we have one of our projects, the new new project that which uh, started uh, this summer uh, was written in Kotlin, and it was quite a positive experience. And the main uh, reasons to try were uh, shorter compilation speed and uh, much uh, simpler, I would say, uh, programming model, and as a consequence, the compiler messages. You just uh, don't get those long cryptic uh, message messages where you just sit and stare at screen and try to figure out what's wrong with your shapeless type level macros trickery.
0: Yeah, and that that's I was going to actually ask you because you know the the questions that Scala developers might ask are very valid, right? Why you're showing me a series of features that's potentially are more concise than Java, but I have these features in mm-hmm. in Scala, so what benefit do I get out of converting to Kotlin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, our stance at JetBrains uh, and my personal stance also has always been, uh, you know, if you're happy with Scala, there is no reason for you to switch to Kotlin. It's as simple as that. Yep. Uh, and now you leave it up to the individuals or the teams to decide whether they are happy with Scala or not, right? Um, And you're saying that the main pain points were uh, performance of the compiler and uh, error messages or like issues in terms of some code being somewhat cryptic? Yes, yes, exactly.
2: And uh, also uh, some, uh, from my opinion, underappreciated point is the overall ergonomics of uh, like overall experience of writing code Uh, because it's not easy to to measure it's not easy to recognize this but i see this every day where i uh, try to code in scala and i have a lot of uh, i would say advanced libraries advanced features uh, like cats uh, which brings monads and a lot of implicit conversions and uh, actually, it's, at, at uh, some point of time, ID just cannot uh, parse it anymore. So you have uh, uh, not so pleasant experience with the lags and uh, yeah, sometimes good quadrats, things like that. Uh, not to say that the idea is bad. It's state of the art. It's just the language is so complex that it's hard to hard to uh, match the Java experience where you just write the code and uh, everything flows. And uh, this is what I really, really, really uh, missed when I switched from Java to Scala, the ability to write code and see the types very quickly, to not wait for like random uh, locks where the implicit conversion is taken in and idea is uh, thinking, hey, how would I present this type? What's the type of this expression? And this is what I get back as soon as I switch to Kotlin because yeah, big kudos to Kotlin team. Uh, Kotlin integration in IDEA and uh, overall ergonomics is on a very, very high level. It really matches Java, but for, for, for much more, I would say advanced language. So not only you can write uh, concise uh, code, you can also interact with it Go to declaration, show types, compile, uh, recompile in 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 like a fast way, which is uh, personally for me very very important thing. I'm I'm staying with the flow.
0: Yeah, and I mean that is one of the pillars of the or the promises that were initially made, right? To be at least as fast as Java and have a language that is toolable. Uh, and I know that. We're still not entirely there in terms of speed of Java, but getting there, even just yesterday, uh, 1.2 was released and there's been increase in terms of compilation speed again. Yeah, I've I've seen this
2: blog post and I got very excited. I really want to try this speed up. So probably today I will try to migrate. Uh, some of our project (laughs) maybe Zali (laughs) (laughs) and see it's not like I suffer from compilation speed but but still I want to see this improvement because yeah compilation can never be fast enough
0: somewhat uh, on that there's a graph on the blog post uh, if you've seen it uh, where it says IntelliJ idea uh, compilation speeds and then it says JetBrains account Uh, and someone on the community slack interpreted this as if i'm logged into jetbrains account i get faster (laughs) compilation speeds okay okay premium feature yeah for subscribers (laughs) it's like like for jetbrains have finally found out how to monetize (laughs) yeah that's nice well thanks again for coming on the show and uh, yep uh, we'll Hopefully, have you on at some other points and uh, discuss some other things that you guys are doing at uh, Zalando because it does feel like, you know, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, yeah for sure. Thanks for having us.